You're listening to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views, and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. Hi, I'm Colin Steed, and I'm thrilled to welcome you to our very first episode of Learning Now Radio. Learning Now Radio is our bi monthly podcast for all learning professionals. This is Learning Now Radio with Colin Steed and Lisa Minogue White. Welcome to our first episode of Learning Now Radio. We'll be publishing a podcast every two weeks in between the episodes of Learning Now TV. In this episode, we're delighted to welcome David Kelly. As you probably know him as Ellen D. Dave, he's the programme director of the eLearning Guild. Earlier this week, Lisa caught up with him to talk to him about next week's DevLearn conference. But before this, we have Kim George. And here's Kim. Hi there, I'm Kim George. And one blog that has caught my attention recently is Six Tips for Working with the Brain to Create Real Behaviour Change, written by Britt Andrietta and published by the ATD, Association for Talent Development. It outlines a few key principles for learning design that maximises the brain's capacity to learn, build memories and develop habits. The article is based on a report from the research firm Burson by Deloitte, which encourages us to use what we learn from neuroscience research to inform training, design and delivery. So the six tips are one, work with the brain, two, design learning environments to help people focus, three, make connections to aid memory, four, enable your learners to make three retrievals or to recall three things from training. Five, build in sleep between learning. Six, design habits. I'll very briefly summarize a few of the tips, starting with number one, work with the brain. So we know that different parts of the brain play a role in how someone learns information, stores that information to memory, and finally uses that learning to create real and lasting behavior change. This research argues that if we don't work with the brain and its natural processes, even the most popular or successful programs won't deliver in the long run. So as talent development professionals and learning designers, we need to keep up to date with developments in brain science as the more we know about how the brain and nervous system works, the more effective and engaging our learning experiences can be. The next tip is all about focus and how it's the starting point of learning. It's all very well having a group of people who are keen to learn, who recognize that they have a need and who are willing to change or improve their behaviors. If the learning environment doesn't enable them to focus and instead allows them to become distracted or to multitask, then they won't learn effectively or remember information. This all sounds pretty obvious, but what the article mentions is that there's a part of the brain that loses vital pieces of information when multi or switch tasking. It can only hold so much info before it must be processed and is pushed into short-term memory, which is why so many studies show that building learning in chunks of 15 to 20 minutes is the best approach to take. It's tip three that I found particularly interesting as it outlines how learning is most likely to be retained and remembered when it can be connected to something we already know. Knowledge is stored in the brain as schemas, which are neural networks that build up and become stronger over time through experience. 
Us L&D professionals can take advantage of this natural process by attaching new learners to schemas that already exist in our learners' brains. So how do we do this? It's all about getting to know your learners and seeing things from their perspective or stepping into their shoes, as we often say. Knowing your audience will help you know what there is to play with, i.e. who they are, what they already know and how you can make meaningful connections to the things that they already know. Tip four tells us to aim for three retrievals, i.e. enable your learners to recall three things from a learning activity. You might know it's the act of retrieval that makes learning memorable long term. And this can happen through a few ways, sharing what you've learned with someone else, reflecting on how it relates to a past experience, completing some sort of hands-on activity, or even quizzing yourself on your own understanding. As learning designers, we can easily build retrievals into our learning events and empower learners to do that for themselves. And it's research that has shown that three retrievals yield the best accuracy and retention. We all know the importance of sleep, and this is the topic of the next tip, as the sleeping brain plays a large role in how long-term memories are formed. While we sleep, the brain pushes information that we learned that day from our short-term memory into our long-term memory. It's when we sleep that our brain adds today's learning onto existing schemas and builds and strengthens neural pathways. So it's important to remember this when designing a learning experience. Ask yourself, can you space out the learning over a few days or even a few weeks? Can you introduce some pre-learning, some hands-on activities, and then extend the learning with post-event resources? Finally, the sixth tip of this article encourages us to become habit designers. I didn't know this, but apparently there's a part of the brain that builds habit loops that include a cue or trigger, the routine of behavior, and the reward for completing that routine. So when we're trying to create behavioural change, we need to think about the habits that are currently in place and how to design new, better habits that will be more compelling than the comfort of the current ones. So identify the habit loop that you hope to instill and work backwards from there. That's it for my blog review this time. To read more, visit the ATD website and search for six tips for working with the brain to create real behaviour change. Thanks for listening. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. This week, I'm joined by David Kelly, VP of Programme Development at the eLearning Guild. And with DevLearn, one of the world's largest learning conferences just around the corner, I was extremely lucky to get some of his precious time. And he spoke to me about some fascinating subjects, including badges, wearables, multi-device learning and context-relevant learning. So David Kelly of the eLearning Guild, welcome to Learning Now Radio. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. So, well, David, the main reason why I wanted to talk to you, despite the fact that I mean, I'm sure we could probably have several episodes of things that you're passionate about in terms of uh, learning technologies and learning and development. But of course, it is the season that it's almost DevLearn. Um, we've only got a few months uh, to go now. Um, but I'm really interested, David, to find out what you are really hoping will be um, the hot topics, I suppose, at the conference, the things that will really spark some really intensive debate debate and discussion this year. Sure. Uh, well, one of the things that, as you mentioned, we could we could talk a whole bunch of things about learning technologies. But one of the reasons that I love DevLearn and for, is for me, it's kind of the hub of, of where the people who are 
engaging that conversation of how can technology help us do our jobs better and help people learn and, and perform better within organizations. It's kind of the hub for, for me um, that that, com- that conversation takes place. Um, one of the things that, and, and every year, it's a, it's a little bit different in terms of the, the flavor of, of what's hot, what people are looking at, um, what's what's changing, and we and it, there are always people who are showcasing it. So some of the specific things to answer your question that I'm that I'm really looking forward to see that I'm excited on the program about. Uh, there are always the cutting edge things. There are always the 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 conversations that are people experimenting with new technologies that maybe aren't completely proven yet, but are on the radar. So we'll see some stuff in that regard on on wearable technologies, and we'll see some stuff on uh, we'll see some stuff involved involving uh, interactive media. Uh, a lot of good good number of sessions on the program this year about how, how we can make video more interactive, which I think is a, is a growing conversation. Good, good amount of conversation this year also on, on micro-learning, which is a topic of growing interest within our field and how technology can enable that. Uh, we have a special focus this year that we're placing on badges, uh, on, on badges as a credential and badges as a way of measuring learning. Uh, we have a special focus on that this year. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, there's a couple of things we could pick up on there. And I'm definitely going to come back to wearables because I've just sure. realised, you know, we're in the middle of a radio interview. I'm supposed to be doing this professionally, David, and I don't think I've silenced my Apple Watch. So it's probably going to go off in a minute and tell me to stand up halfway through this interview. <laughs> um, but um, just coming back to badges, um, what are your thoughts in terms of, obviously, you know, Mozilla some time ago um, developed OBI, where do you think it's going? Because it's interesting, there's sort of part of the conversation obviously is about the standard, but it's also about the role that badges really play in delivering value more than, you know, having a, another certificate to put on the wall. What do badges really mean? Uh, how are they going to be meaningful for individuals and organisations? Well, it's interesting that you position the question that way because that's, that's predominantly the reason why we wanted to place a focus on badges this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, because badges, in my opinion, are um, are very rep- are at a point in time where it's so, we, and we've seen this a lot in our industry where they are either going to become very meaningful or they're going to just fade away as another fad. Um, and I would like to see the the former of the two because that we ha- we we have a tendency that that we we look at a new technology and we implement it just at the surface level. And that's kind of where badges are right now. That if I do, I, I, if the badges, most imp, most applications of badges are in the realm of if I do this, I get a badge. For Absolutely. It. And that's very that, that's good, but it's very surface level. And badges, both from a technology standpoint and from an infrastructure standpoint, can be so much more. They can be competency based. They can they can be something that I carry with me that can show my job, not just what I've done, but what I can do from a competency level. Uh, but in order for that to happen and for the, that true potential of badges to take place, we need more people engaged in that conversation. So I've been engaged with people who are kind of leading the conversation around badges, invited them to DevLearn to help me build a program that has to, to build this special focus on it so that we can have the right conversations to, to push badges in the right direction, to get more people thinking about and exploring what they can do rather than just what they are doing today. 
and so that we can kind of push that conversation towards the true potential of what badges can be. And that's one of the things I'm really excited about this year. Well, that that's fantastic because uh, I don't expect you to remember all of the um, all of the sessions that you have um, organised, David. But uh, as you know, I'm coming over to speak about um, communities, and one of the things that I'd like to pick up actually, and it, it's really uh, useful and meaningful us talking about this, is I'm really passionate about um, badges being able to play a part in active contribution. So you're right. At, at the moment, a, a lot with a lot of badges. Um, I suppose implemented at that gamification level is gamification in terms of if I complete something or I encourage people to come back to my content, hence you get a badge. And like you said, that's a it's a useful mechanism, but it's a very surface level. I'd really like to see badges starting to showcase those people that are capable of mentoring, capable of uh, curating, capable of supporting learning, who make meaningful contributions. Um, to the entire learning ecosystem. And I certainly think communities play a big part in that, actually, in terms of surfacing that. But where, just as you've described, of course, you may have formal accreditation through um, schools, colleges, universities, etc. But those badges align to things that, that are really valuable to your organisation and to other individuals. And I suppose that's really where the conversation with badges and the conversations with business and learning outcomes have got to come together rather than badges just being... It's something else we can do online. It's another piece of technology, another fad, as you said. Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons that I that I invited uh, Connie Yowell, who's going to be one of our keynote speakers oh, at Deadline. She's one of the people who have been who have been kind of carrying the torch for badges. And uh, really, really, I'm really excited for that conversation to be able to tell us where we're at and, and where we have the potential to be going. And to have that message shared with everyone at DevLearn, I think, is going to be really, really meaningful. Well, I'm talking about going and obviously being active, you mentioned wearables so, mm-hmm. so David, what's what's so exciting for you for wearables? Because it's interesting. I think every every conference I've been to this year has spoken about. You know, we're talking about future technologies. Um, wearables always come up, but they almost come up as a oh, and wearables will be in the future, but but no deeper dive than that. So, what are you hoping to see at Devlin that will really kind of start to uncover their potential? Well, you know, it's 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 interesting because it's. What the potential is, is undefined as of yet. The reason that I think wearables is such a big part of our conversation isn't necessarily a learning conversation as of yet. It's going to be, but it's not as of yet. I always feel, the the, the phrase that I use often when I talk about technology in general and and specifically when I talk about wearables, um, is is this idea that if you want to see how technology is going to change how people learn, you watch how technology is changing how people live. And you look at something like wearables, and it's changing the way we interact with the world around us. Uh, even something as simple, uh, even something as specific as the Apple Watch. You mentioned that. I, I have that. Um, I, and it's interesting you mentioned that it might go off of you. One of the, I think the very first thing that I did with my Apple Watch within five minutes of having it was turn off all sound. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as it started going off, I was like, oh, no, I can't have that going on all the time. And just turned off the sound. Um, but so looking, you have the watch, I have the watch. So one of the things you've probably picked up on is, is just the changing dynamic of how often you need to take your phone out of your pocket. Oh, absolutely. That it, that it minimizes the, 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 the need to constantly look at your, your phone. What does that mean for us in terms of the way we interact with the world around us? What does it, what does it change? Um, how does something like this, this device that's on your wrist change the way that you interact with the world. I mean, something something as simple as, an example I often use is, 
from the point that I put my watch on and I put in that code once until as long as I don't unclasp it, it knows that it's me. I don't have to I, I don't have to put my password in anymore, which works well from a personal uh, uh, personal experience standpoint. But what does it mean in terms of broadcasting out? So, you know, for and I know the watch can't do this in this iteration, but in terms of the, the possibilities of I, I put the watch on it, whether through a passcode or whether through my biometrics, it authenticates me. Now I can broadcast this signal that is as I'm walking around saying, this is David Kelly, this is, and it's got a database attached to it, knowing what I can do, what I'm available to. What does that mean for learning if I'm walking up to a piece of equipment and I'm broadcasting a signal of who I am and what I'm capable of? That's, that's got very large implications for us. And that's where I like to follow the wearable conversations. It's, it's certainly not about finding a way to get your course onto your wrist. Um, someone will someone will discover a way to do that, and, and and I feel that that person will need to be stopped because that's not, <laughs> that's not what it's about. Um, it, it, it's not about just doing the same thing on the on a different screen. It's about I have this thing on my wrist, and what does that mean? What can what can I do with it? And putting I'm really excited. Like wearables as an example. Um, I'm really excited about the fact that the software development kit is for Apple Watch is in people's hands because that's when you're going to start seeing some interesting and innovative applications to this that we couldn't even think of uh, when this watch first came about. And and wearables in general, wearables is just in my mind is is the portal through which we're going to interact with the whole Internet of Things concept. Um, and in a world where I'm online and everything around me is online, we're going to be able to learn in ways we probably can't even fathom now. So in terms of the the, the, the conversations that are going on at DevLearn, it's to, ex in, in specifically in the, in the context of wearables, it's to explore those possibilities. It's to see some examples of what some early adopters are doing and kind of saying, we're playing in this space, come see what we're doing um, so that we can explore those examples because a lot of times like we talk about we have this technology like an Apple Watch or anything else in the in the wearable space and okay it's cool it does some interesting things but I it helps people contextualize a lot if you have some people who are playing in the space and can share what they're doing and one point that I think there David and I said it'd be so exciting to see what some people are sort of conceptualizing at the moment and the directions they want to take it but what I've noticed, um, and it's another area that I'm very interested in indeed, actually, is you're right. Once you have the watch, you I think you are more mindful of the way in which you use your entire technology ecosystem. Just from a personal perspective, mm -hmm. the, the, what you expect of the watch, what, how you then use your phone, when you would then use a tablet, when you would then use a laptop. And it's interesting you saying whoever creates the first course for a watch ought to be stopped. I think there's also another interesting kind of parallel debate going on at the moment that, of course, you've got the argument, I think, versus with responsive versus appropriate, as it were. Mm -hmm. So, you know, are we, um, uh, is it our job as learning professionals to develop um, content and learning experiences that are available across all devices? Or are we looking for experiences that are pertinent and relevant to that particular device or where I am. Like you say, absolutely contextual. I, I can I can see the world the same way as you are, David. Actually, I can imagine, it, it, as well as broadcasting, you know, being in, a, in an environment where that environment is speaking to me and letting me know via a wearable that there is an opportunity here. There's something that I may well be interested in or a person that I need to connect with or, like you say, or somebody that could benefit from my support. But I don't expect to then 
that that interaction to then happen on a device. I expect either a conversation to happen or to go to another device, perhaps for a deeper dive. I don't expect to do everything on every single piece of technology I have. And I'd be really interested to to get your view on that because I'm undecided uh, on where I stand on things like responsive when it comes to learning. Well, it's, 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 it's an excellent question. I think the, the overarching answer to that is context matters a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what works, you know, a lot of times I feel like in, in, our, in our industry, sometimes are over, we place too much emphasis on the silver bullet, which doesn't exist, that we're going we're gonna to find the way to make it work. This is, this is the way this should work for this particular design, or this, this is the way e-learning should work, or, or classroom training should work. And it's there are there are some some ideas of things that are replicatable or replicable mm-hmm. uh, and and things that work, but there's not one one design to rule them all to to use the, uh, the absolutely. Um, so, but the, but the reason it, it, like using responsive as an example, and this 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 is where for me the technology discussion becomes important. Uh, responsive is great. Responsive is 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 a step in the right direction in the sense of responsive is. Is a, is going to make your content be more appropriate for the device that it's on, mm-hmm. um, and that is that I don't. I what I'm I, and I want to establish baseline that that's good. You know, the, the fact that I can look at my phone and have it have the content be appropriate as compared to just pushing the desktop onto a smaller screen, that's definitely a good thing. Of course, it's however, and and I preface it by saying that 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 is a good thing. It's not enough. Um, and the reason that I say that is we, we have a tendency within our field to shoehorn old methodologies into new technologies. So you take something like responsive design. What that's saying is I've got this desktop experience. I've got this experience that I built on for, for a laptop or for a desktop. And I want it to be accessible in an appropriate way on a mobile phone. That's not, and, and when I say it like that, that doesn't necessarily sound like a bad thing. And it's not, but it's limited. And what I mean by limited is is the sense of your mobile phone is way more than a small screen. Your mobile phone has 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 affordances and technologies that that your desktop can't do. Your 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 mobile phone has a touch screen as compared to a keyboard. Your mobile phone has a GPS. Your mobile phone has an accelerometer. Uh, uh, your your mobile phone has has all these capabilities that don't exist in the desktop environment. And if we look at responsive design as an example, all it's doing is, is making your desktop experience appropriately accessible on a mobile. And again, that's not bad, but that's not exploring the possibilities of mobile in my mind. When you're looking at the possibilities of mobile, it's all right, well, I've got a full processing computer in my pocket while I'm walking around that knows where I am it no, it, it can recognize. I mean, my, my phone can recognize where I'm walking, whether I'm walking up and down stairs. Um, your desktop can't do these things, and we we tend to just say, how do I do? How do I do what I do on this new technology? And I think we need to flip the question and say, what can I do differently that I couldn't do before via this new technology? And I think where we just had the AmLearnCon conference a few months ago, uh, and. What excites me about that conference now and, and also within the mobile track that we'll have at DevLearn is we're starting to see those examples of people exploring things in the mobile learning space that we couldn't do without these devices. It's no longer just about getting the desktop experience respons- accessible on a phone in a responsive way 
it's now about, well, we're going to start creating experiences that we couldn't do without this technology. And to go back to your overarching question, what does that mean for, for the learning professional who, well, now I have to design a desktop experience and I have to design a mobile learning experience? We're starting to see the answers to that emerge. And in some cases, it could be that maybe, maybe it doesn't involve a desktop component. Maybe, it's, maybe the entire Absolutely. experience is on the phone. Sure. Well, and you raised on something that I'd really like to kind of finish on with you, really. And that's and I think particularly the type of people that will be going along to Devlin and engaging in the conversations. I'm sure this is something that is top of mind for them. And they're already on that journey. But exactly as you've described that it, it, it puts a really different flavor on the way in which we we think about learning. It's it's. It's, it's, it's difficult to even um, categorize learning as a, a particular profession that does particular things because, like you said, it, it's uh, thinking about the context. And, and, of course, context is different no matter where you are, whatever devices that you are um, uh, using. That's almost a, that's a, the ancillary question, really. It's about what am I trying to achieve uh, in the environment in which I work, live, socialize, all those sorts of things. So, that can feel quite intimidating, you know, learning and, and, and development from the days that, David, I'm not going to, you know, cast aspersions on your age here, but I imagine for both of us when we enter this profession, it's a very different game now. It's a very, very different world. It, incredibly exciting. I think phenomenally more interesting, frankly, but it's great. But what does that mean then as a, as a, as a skill set, as the type of people that are moving into learning? You know, what does this mean as a profession? What is a learning professional these days? It's, it's an excellent question, and I think not, it's not only just what does it mean to be a learning professional, but what does it mean to be someone who operates in the learning and performance space in today's environment. And the reason that I position the, the, the question a little differently is we're increasingly seeing areas of the business playing in our space, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when, I, when, I talk about, when I talk to people about um, technologies like performance support, um, the type of technologies that can that can support people in the workflow while they are working, rather than interrupting them, so they can so they can learn at that point. Um, which is mo- most of most of the training that we do nowadays is is, is just that it, it, you have to stop working so that you can start learning, and then you stop learning so that you can go back to work. Uh, performance sport doesn't necessarily need to do that, and and we're seeing more and more technologies do that. The technologies that are coming in, some are coming through the learning and performance space, but others are being inserted into the organization by IT, that, that they find a solution that can support people in the workflow, and it's not coming through learning and development. That's right. So we, we have to be very conscious of the changing environment around us, and, that, and that's kind of one of the reasons I come back to that idea. If you want to see how technology is helping people learn, you see how technology is changing the way people live. Um, the solutions are coming from non-L&D space. And we have to understand the full scope of what is impacting people's learning and people's performance. Some of it is spaces we don't play in, but we need to be aware of and tracking. You mentioned the word ecosystem earlier, and that's kind of the approach that I, I always encourage people to look at. Look at the entire ecosystem that surrounds your workplace or, your, or even an individual within your workplace. What are all the different components that affect that person's performance from the policies to the procedures to the technologies to the support structure that's in place? Some of that we some of that is space we play in. Some of it we don't. So what does that mean to today's learning professional? Um, I think today's learning professional to continue 
you know, a lot of people say learning, you know, training, training is not relevant. Training is not. Uh, I, I, I completely disagree with that. I think it's I think it's going to be relevant for quite some time. And I think that the context of your organization um, matters tremendously. That said, I think there are certain things that every learning professional, regardless of the context, needs to be doing today. Uh, I think you need to be following technology because some people, you know, I had a conversation with someone a couple of couple of months ago who asked me after I did a presentation at a conference, the, the, the exact wording of the question escapes me, but essentially the, the question was, how do, how do I get started with using technology in my learning programs? And I kind of chuckled and, and said, how have you avoided it up until this point? Quite. But the question stuck with me, even though it was a joke, because I, you know, we, we talk about technology and learning like they're two separate things. And maybe 10 or 15 years ago, they were, where it was a case of technology needed to be incorporated into what we were doing in a classroom. That's not what today is. Learn technology is just embedded into what life is today, and it should just be embedded into the conversation of what learning and and training should be. And in order for that to to be the case for today's learning professional, you've got to be tapped into that. You know, we still have a lot of people who are who are using technology because they're kind of pushed into it. That someone came to them and said, you know, we need to be using. Everyone's got these mobile phones. We need to be using them instead of approaching it from a curious standpoint of what's going on with these technologies. Oh, I see somebody walking, even something as much as some people will say it was a failure, I don't, but even the last couple of years when we saw people walking around like myself with these computers on our heads with these Google Glass things, uh, what does that mean? And And not to say that you have to find a way to incorporate that into your learning programs, but to be curious enough about it to see what people are doing. And to to go outside your comfort zone to see not not again not just what tech how how I can do what I do via today's technologies and tomorrow's technologies, but how technologies of today and tomorrow are changing the possibilities of what I do, and I think that's that's the paradigm that that the learning and performance professionals of today need to be approaching their work. Not what I not how does the evolving technology change what I do, but. How does the what what does it make possible? What how does it make what I can do today better? And how do I do new things that I've never been able to do before? Well, I think David, on that note, that it's incredibly sound advice, um, and it's the only thing I would add to it is that although it may be intimidating if you're not from a technology background, it is an incredibly exciting place to be because you're absolutely right. It it no longer detaches learning or training from the overall experience of work and play it intrinsically becomes part of it and I think if you're interested in learning that's what you always wanted to do that's what you're always hoping to achieve but technology is is helping us make that that easier and I say a very exciting space to be in Um, if you're not uh, hopefully if you're in the the US you're going to be getting yourself down to Devlin because it's exactly these types of conversations that will be happening but if you're outside the US or unable to get to Devlin I know David the um, hashtag guild chat is a, a really nice friendly open space to start to orientate yourself around these conversations isn't it Yes, Guild Chat is, is a hashtag that we use for our, uh, our weekly Twitter chat. It takes place uh, fr- every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, which would be 7 p.m. Um, UK time. Um, so we, we do that every week. And the hashtag specifically for the DevLearn conferences is hashtag DevLearn. Fantastic. D-E-L-L-E-R-N. 
That's lovely. Well, thank you so much, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really fascinating. Loads to take away there. And um, really looking forward to seeing you at the end of September in Las Vegas. You as well. Thanks so much. Lovely. Thanks, David. Bye-bye now. This is Learning Now Radio with Colin Steed and Lisa Minogue-White. Well, that's it for our first episode. Lisa, what have we got for episode two? In the next episode of Learning Now Radio, we'll be hearing from Jane Bosarth, renowned expert on learning, informal and social learning, and she'll be talking to me about the importance of showing your work and working out loud. Thank you so much for joining us on Learning Now Radio. If you'd like to rate or recommend us on iTunes, we'd be incredibly grateful, and we look forward to joining you on the next episode.